0: Welcome to Careers in Discovery, your window into the world of leaders in pharma and biotech. Brought to you by Singular Talent, making higher and better for organisations involved in drug discovery and R&D. Jane Osborne is a genuine world leader in the discovery and development of antibody therapeutics. Currently Chief Scientific Officer of Alchemab Therapeutics and Chair at Mogrify, Jane has also served as Chair of the Bioindustry Association, is a Director at Cambridge Enterprise, and in 2019 was awarded an OBE for services to science and the drug research industry, as well as the Scripps Lifetime Achievement Award for contribution to biopharma. Jane joined us on Careers in Discovery to share her journey, her advice, and her views on careers, science, biotech, and more today i am with jane osborne jane thank you so much for coming on the show thanks tom great to be here Great to have you. Now, Jane, we would normally introduce you as Jane Osborne of a company. You're involved in lots and lots of different things, as we've just been talking about before we started recording, but I suppose the main two things that you're involved in are as Chief Scientific Officer of Alchemab and Chair of Mogrify. Right. Um, yeah. Good. Some of our long-term listeners will be familiar with Mogrify. We had Darren Disley on the show a little while ago, um, but I thought it'd be good to start by talking about Alchemab, which is a, a relatively new company that you've, you've been involved in uh, recently and it'd be great to learn a bit more about the work that you're doing there to start.
1: Of course Tom, yeah. So um, I'm Chief Scientific Officer at Alchemab uh, and Alchemab is a company that's focused on looking at naturally occurring protective antibodies. So it's it's quite interesting, it's sort of looking at why people are unusually well rather than ill and I think there's a lot of focus on the ill end, the disease end of the spectrum in, in the biotech and pharma industry. And I've always been interested in that sort of, you know, what, what protects people? Why, why should somebody not um, be, become um, a, um, um, have, a, have a predisposition to Alzheimer's um, if they have mutations for that? Why do some people... Um, survive cancer? One mm. and others, those kind of questions. So we're focused on looking at what we call elite controllers. So these, these, these patients or individuals who stay well, um, and we do very deep sequencing of their antibodies, their immune okay. responses. And we try and look for signals in those immune responses that might indicate that there's something protective there compared to patients who progress through the normal stages of the disease. Yeah. So it's sort of a combination of, of really looking at big data, sequencing of, of antibodies in correlation with understanding the, the clinical outcomes of patients. Yeah. And I think the nice thing for me is sort of nature doing your own experiment for you. I mean, I think coming from a sort of pharma um, biotech background where, where it's very target discovery driven, we don't know what the targets for these antibodies are. Um, Mm -hmm. We're finding the antibodies first, and then we're trying to use those as a hook to understand disease progression. And ultimately, make medicines. That's what Alkem is about. At the end of the day, is making therapeutic antibodies.
0: Yeah, interesting. So I suppose it's it's kind of taking a lot of the work that you know antibodies have been the mechanism that's been used in the industry for many years, and then immunology is the rage right now in in a lot of medicines as well. And it's looking at both of those together, I suppose, and
1: how yeah, you can combine no. the two. Absolutely. How you can combine the two, and how you can use that combination of knowledge to give you insight into really understanding you know, how you could look at a disease in a different way. So yeah. I, I'm I'm really excited um, about joining Alchemab. Um and it, it was very um, appropriate to sort of think this through as I as I sort of my background's in antibody engineering, and I was sort of thinking about doing something different came across a group of um, people who were thinking along similar lines. And Mm -hmm. um, so ACMAB's was funded by the Dementia Discovery Fund because we're really interested in neurodegeneration. Um, But we also have funding from SV Ventures and we have funding Mm -hmm. from a U.S. investor called DCVC, so um, neurodegeneration oncology. And then recently we've also been looking at infectious disease because our platform is very applicable to finding antibodies that could protect against viruses, bacteria, Uh, and so we have actually been doing quite a lot of work on COVID-19.
0: Yes, yes, which is, as we record this on the 22nd of June, is obviously a a, a big topic.
1: It's a really important challenge, and I think the more that we can do to understand the biology um, behind these coronaviruses, then the more more chance we have to really, first of all, deal with the current challenge, but also future-proof ourselves. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Interesting times. So.
0: Very interesting. So there's clearly there's clearly a few you've mentioned there. I guess target areas, if you like, rather than specific targets. Um, are you finding that that's expanding as you're learning more about these antibodies? Because I suppose you have to be fairly flexible with with your targeting in some ways as you look to understand these things.
1: Yeah. I mean you have to be flexible and you have to be pragmatic. So what we really want to do is make sure that we build good collaborative relationships with people who have samples that could be interesting for us and that's been a nice journey of discovery for me actually over the past few months, talking to lots and lots of different clinical scientists patient groups uh, and finding out where you know the the right kind of samples might be and and how we might access them Mm -hmm. Um, and I think you know we're trying to look at a range of different sample types so you know the, the most obvious examples are patients where there's a genetic predisposition to a disease like early onset Alzheimer's or Huntington's but those patients don't develop those diseases. And right. some of the patient advocate groups are really good to help us understand that, uh, and various clinical scientists. And then you sort of go through to the, the more um, oncology end where you're looking for long-term survivors. And we've had a lot of conversations with clinicians trying to understand what they see as an unusual um, patient and an, an unusual response, uh, and actually getting, getting to grips with that. So lots of really interesting collaborative conversations and I think what what we're trying to do at Alchemab is be very open about the data as well, because this mm-hmm. data is very valuable. To the, to the clinical community, um, and so we want to make sure that we are you know, having a really good dialogue about how we can mutually benefit from the, the immunological analysis that we're doing. So yeah, yes. it's exciting, and it's, uh, yeah, the, the, the types of um, samples are expanding all the time, um, and yeah, we're still proving the process, but mm-hmm. I think, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what comes out of it um, in terms of targets as we move forward, so yeah. So. Yeah,
0: and it must be fascinating, because I think before I started looking at this in detail I didn't realize how little of the immune system we actually understand I mean we understand a good amount of it but there's a lot that we don't right and someone put it to me a while ago in a way that I really liked in that with the amount of things that are out there trying to kill us it's a wonder that any of us are alive anyway and this is the job that the immune system has done.
1: <laughs> yeah no I mean it is the most amazing piece of nature I think I mean I've been working in um, antibody engineering and immunology for most of my career and it never ceases to amaze me it's all checks and balances and, and making sure that you don't over respond to a challenge um, and that you, you get that right sort of mixture of protection um, but, but not going into autoimmunity and it, it it really is fascinating it's quite Kafkaesque, actually sort of understanding the different checks and balances and the mm-hmm, sort of the recent um, you know uh, understanding of checkpoint inhibition and how you can turn off the cancer cells from sort of hiding from the immune system all the these things are really recent um, discoveries that actually really do change our view and perspective on immunology as a field and how you could actually harness it for, to sort of get keep that balance in favour. Of, of the patient, of the human, of keeping as well. Uh, yes. and I think it's, uh, it's an exciting time to working in immunology. There's lots and lots of work being done on T-cells. There's mm-hmm. less work being done on B-cells and the B-cell repertoires and how those two different types of cells interact in different disease settings as well. So I think it's a good opportunity for us to start understanding that a bit more and working with some of the experts in T cell biology as well. I think it's going to be a nice challenge for us. So um, hopefully we'll add a lot of value there.
0: Absolutely, no, it's exciting. Um, And your role, as you've said, is as chief scientific officer there. And um, can you tell us a bit about where the company is as a company and and what that role entails and and where you spend most of your time when you are um, in your up time yeah
1: um, so, well, I'm very fortunate, first off, to have a, a wonderful CEO, a guy called Alex Leach, and we very much work in partnership. So I sort of keep keep my eye on the science, and, and um, Alex has got a lot of experience of starting companies. He's has 13 years in biotech and venture mm-hmm. capital, as well as big pharma. So we're very much a team. It's a sort of joint managerial challenge and a, um, an exciting challenge for both of us, I think. Um, and um, our chairman um, from SVB. Ventures has also been very supportive so we're all working to build, first off build the team of people and we've Mm -hmm. now got 15 people mixture of lab based um, but also bioinformaticians uh, and some quite experienced drug discovery and development people who who can really understand how you can take these things forward. Mm. So we've been building the team we've been sourcing all these samples we've been working out how you do the bioinformatics uh, on the samples, Um, we've actually had our first um, publication sort of through the, the work that we've been doing with COVID patients. Um, as a, um, we've submitted that to Nature Comms, and we're starting to build our confidence in our process to the point yes. where you know, we'll, we'll be in a position to start testing things in much more biological systems. So it's been a, you know, a real mixture of you know, presenting to the board, trying to make sure we the right kind of funding, working out you know, the scientific planning, but also a lot about people and science and collaborative interactions. And I've probably spent most of my time over the first sort of three or four months talking to potential collaborators, okay. as well as then making sure that we're building the right kind of team so we've done we've done yeah, well so far. It's, it's yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of the team. I think we've got some great hires, and uh, everyone's full of enthusiasm and energy mm-hmm. for this idea. You know, this agnostic idea of you know, let's try and explore the biology without. Without sort of using our internal bias to think how these things are going to
0: work, so yes. yeah,
1: it's, it's good fun.
0: Yes. So it's clearly, you know, it's clearly an area of science that that you're very interested in as well. I can I can tell that just from the conversation. And how different is it from um, well, obviously you'll we'll get into your career before in a little bit, but you're. You were previously um, head of R and D, vice president of R and D for MediMune AstraZeneca, which obviously yeah. most people will know, but for those who don't, is a huge organization. Yeah. I imagine it's been quite different.
1: Yes, it, it's been very different. Um, my previous role was a, a brilliant role, actually. It was a, it was a real mixture of um, I still managed some science. I had a lab-based team that I took um, a sort of clear guidance with, um, but I also did a lot of operational management i was Mm -hmm. sort of head of the site um, at grant park in cambridge so there was there was a lot of um operational um uh, roles that i i took and i enjoyed um and i also did a lot of um making sure that what we were doing scientifically um, within the AZ Medamine organisation was, was built on good collaborative relationships. Again, I did a lot of um, building relationships with um, not just Cambridge science, but global science um, experts. Um, and yeah, it, it was a, it was a very mixed role, but fundamentally a focus on target directed drug discovery, which um, was great. Um, But this role now, um, I've taken elements of that. And I think, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but you learn a huge amount that is consistent, whatever role you're doing. You learn about how you best deliver results and how best you build relationships and manage people. And I think there's a lot of continuity in that. And the deep science that I learned through many years at MediMuneAZ in terms of antibody drug discovery, but also broader drug discovery. I'm starting to um, learn more about digital health, uh, Mm -hmm. about different ways of interfacing with with patient-centric approaches that the pharma industry are very keen to make sure um, we're developing well. So I think a lot of those experiences I hope will help set us in good stead in Alchemab for understanding how you deal with the patients and at the end of the day it's all about making difference to patients and I think that's sort of continuity across both roles clearly you know is that that's what we're trying to do so yeah
0: yeah, so there's some good themes that, that transfer there, even though the setting is is different. It's different, yeah. Yeah. So, so let's let's take it back then and talk about your career, Jane. Um, and we always like to start. I I sometimes say at the beginning, but that's probably not quite where we start. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but first of all. Why science for you? Why why this career? Why science? Why drug discovery in particular?
1: I think why science is quite an easy question to answer. Um, So um, I come from a family, both my parents were actually English literature um, experts. My Mm -hmm. dad was uh, an academic, my mum was an English teacher. Uh, And I've got an older sister who's also a scientist. Um, And we grew up in a house... Full of books, literature, mm. um, and in some ways, sort of took that for granted. We, we enjoyed that very much. But I think um, both myself and my sister really enjoyed gathering data we we sort of we had a, a um, you know a sort of childhood of cataloguing plants and weather systems mm-hmm. we, we grew up in yorkshire and um so i, I always like collecting data and i always like to do sort of logical analysis of the data and, and try and look for themes. and i think that was sort of a natural tendency so yes so it was fairly obvious for me to do science at school certainly for a level Uh, And then, you know, I I did um, biochemistry as an undergraduate um, degree in Cambridge at a time when molecular biology, structural biology, or protein science was really taking off in the sort of Mm -hmm. late 80s. It was a really exciting time. Uh, And I met some really inspiring people as well. I think the other thing that sort of drives you into science is seeing role models and people who are really passionate about the science and about encouraging young people into science. Um, So I had some great lecturers um, and just really wanted to move more into molecular biology at the time. PCR had just been invented. These were the times of, you know, real opportunity. So, I mean, it wasn't really a choice of doing drug discovery. I I sort of almost drifted into drug discovery Mm -hmm. um, because I was much more focused on Platforms and technologies, you know, molecular biology, uh, understanding um, viruses. I did a PhD in plant virology, um, but then I then I started understanding about protein-protein interactions and and wanted to move into antibody discovery, which is mm-hmm. how I ended up at Cambridge Antibody Technology. Yes, so, I mean I'd like to say I set out wanting to work in drug discovery, but that that's you know it, it was an evolution of exploring different areas of science and landing somewhere that happened to do that with some really good technology. Yeah,
0: yeah interesting. So it was actually the technology itself was one of the interesting parts for you as well and, and seeing how things worked. And
1: Yeah, well, I think, you know, my first job in biotech was at Cambridge Antibiotic Technology mm-hmm. and I went for an interview there because I thought, wow, if this technology... Um, so this is a way, you know, displaying human antibodies on the surface of bacteriophage, making big libraries that you could select whatever antibody you wanted from. Um, for me, that sort of broad applicability and, and the elegance of that technology was really, really appealing. So I thought, mm-hmm. if you could use that to make... An antibody to cancer or even to like a plant protein or to make it, yeah, there were all sorts of opportunities that that technology um, could deliver if you could make it robust uh, and make it you know, work effectively. And I was sort of one of the u- junior scientists that was brought in to get it up and running and working. And, and that was a, a really good challenge. But yeah, for me, it was, you know, if we can get this working well, that you could you could work across any disease area you wanted, right. and I, I've always enjoyed that you know, breadth um, of, of being able to, um, to to sort of work across different disease areas.
0: So Cambridge Antibody Technology. Anyone who sort of has observed the industry over the last number of years will probably be aware of you know it being one of the big success stories of that early Cambridge biotech cluster and and um, obviously then became part of bigger companies, which I'm sure we'll come on to. Um, where was it when you joined? What was the Where was the company at and, and what was the situation?
1: Um, so when I joined, the company had been going between yeah, a couple of, couple of years. Um, there were about 20-odd people there when I joined. Um, and I joined as a sort of cohort of three other um, joiners in the same week, all of whom I'm still really good friends with. Um, And we were, as I said, we we were brought in to um, do a lot of the the sort of heavy lifting in the lab to build the antibody libraries. So the idea was you clone antibody gene segments from a range of different people um, with with no predisposition to particular diseases. You you put those into a, a library format, which is, on the surface of these bacteriophage, so they're viruses that infect E. coli, and then you can infect the E. coli, you can select for antibodies that bind your target of interest, and and you can start making, making drugs. So we were, we were brought in to um, do a lot of that basic, it wasn't basic, it was, but it was a lot of repetitive molecular biology building these libraries mm-hmm. um, and starting to test them and getting them to work. So, yeah, we were just at the point of getting, getting things to work and starting to have some really good collaborations with um, companies that had insight into the biology of where you could apply antibodies as therapies. Yeah, I think it's probably fair to say at that time there was a lot of promise and a lot of hope on antibodies as therapeutics, but they haven't really delivered on the promise that had been sort of evident over the previous you know, 10 years or so. I mean,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, um, Campath had been into people, but beyond that, very few, you know, there were no examples of, of antibodies really making it onto the market at that point. And I think we didn't really understand what all the challenges were, which is probably a good thing, actually. Not <laughs> the but I think, yeah, the, the t- It's one thing to make an antibody that binds to something, but it's a very different thing to make an antibody that you can turn into a drug. There are lots of different hurdles around stability, manufacturability, um, just understanding the biology, making sure you've got the right target. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we were... Um, Quite naive about that, but I think naivety can be a really good thing yeah. in a life <laughs> environment, you know, and but not naive enough that we, we weren't prepared to learn and talk to the right people who had that kind of expertise. So no, we, we no. just actually signed, um, CAT had signed a, a collaborative agreement, um, with um, the Genetics Institute, which actually was the agreement that turned into um, the collaboration ultimately with Abbott, and the uh, through various takeovers um, mm-hmm. that resulted in us making um, the antibody that became Humira. Uh, yes. So that was sort of the time that I'd just joined um, and there was a team already working um, to try and make this anti-TNF alpha um, antibody, which ultimately became the best-selling Drug in the world, so um, yeah, it was. Uh, um, we were we were pretty lucky in some ways to have that early collaboration with the right team of biologists mm-hmm. with a really good idea. so So yeah it was exciting
0: yeah yes and a good time to join there's there's some momentum there there's some commercial interest and partnership interest and things like that but still lots of questions to answer and lots of lots of things to do yeah it's it's interesting the point around sort of some of the challenges around antibodies because i suppose and we're starting to work through these now i guess but the industry is kind of in a similar place with some cell therapies and gene therapies and things like that
1: yeah. yeah I mean I think um, I think that's the sort of theme of you know, of setting up technologies with a with a discovery focus but then translating those into you know, a robust platform that can actually make repeatedly make medicines is a challenge you know and I think I know you spoke to Darren demogify you know that's the same you know and, and Darren's chair at more Mm -hmm. exactly the same challenge of you can demonstrate that you can develop these transcription factors you can work out ways of doing cell conversions but at the end of the day you need to make a robust manufacturing route um, to to develop that and we were we were sort of at, at that place with antibodies back in the sort of early 90s that was where we were at Yes, and now, you know there are over a hundred antibodies, uh, you know, on the market. Many more to come. All sorts of different formats, uh, and it's taken for granted in some ways, which is great. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really, you know, fantastic progress. Yeah,
0: yeah no, absolutely. And and I don't want to. Um, It'll be difficult to summarise that into into a short um, a short description, but. Um, T- tell us about the rest of your journey with with Cambridge Antibody Technology, and then through the things that happened with the business. Yeah,
1: well, I, I think with Cambridge Antibody Technology, um, we had a great great team environment, and we were we weren't just working on Humira. We had lots of different collaborations mm-hmm. going. Um, I think the sort of probably the, the big light bulb moment for us at Cat was when when Humira actually made it to the market relatively quickly um, yeah, through um, some great management, actually by. Abbott in terms of how they structured the clinical piece. Um, And we were in a position, um, I think it was in 2001, where the first Humira patient um, that we were exposed to came and talked to us at (laughs) CATS. about the benefits that she'd seen from taking Humira. Um, and she just, yeah, she was um, a local lady. Um, she was a, actually a nurse herself. Um, and she just spent an hour talking about how challenging rheumatoid arthritis had been for mm-hmm. her, um, a relatively young person. Um, and from taking um, Humira, she was now able to, open a jar of jam and turn on a shower and was thinking about going skiing and it completely transformed her, her life. Yeah, And I think that for me, certainly, and I suspect for the, a lot of the other scientists in that room, was, was this sudden realisation that actually science isn't just about you know, doing lab work and reading. and It actually can make a really tangible difference to the mm-hmm. world. Uh, and seeing this lady, um, I think, was really inspiring for all of us to think, wow, we've made something that has made a difference. And there's lots and lots of other stuff in this library that we need to try and make right. make more antibodies and, and therapies as fast as we can. So I think on the back of that, we got quite ambitious as we... As we sort of grew the company, um, but we we did actually have some challenges um, in terms of financing. We actually had a yeah there was a, a, a litigation about royalty payments. There were various sort of you know, pieces of pragmatic stuff that needed to be right. dealt with, and in the end, that sort of resulted in AstraZeneca, who were very. Um, forward-thinking in wanting to build biologics as part of their pipeline, actually acquired CAT um, Mm -hmm. in the sort of 2007, I think it was, 2006, 2007, um, with a view to building a biologics pipeline and keeping the CAT expertise to do that. So that was a really interesting sort of stage of career journey. Yes. Um, Because you start as you know, I think there were about three hundred and fifty of us in cat at that time. Right. Becoming part of this huge global organization with lots and lots of opportunity, um, lots of capability to deliver really large clinical trials that we would never have been able to do mm-hmm. on our own. Um, and we started working, we'd already been collaborating with AZ, so it was a natural evolution of, of building the pipeline. Um, but I think from there, there were various gaps that we had in our capabilities to make the most of that one of which was manufacturing which i keep referring to it was it was a yeah. challenge and then also um we we had a number of programs in the pipeline but could do with more and so AstraZeneca also bought Medimune, which was a U.K., sorry, a U.S. Um, biotech that mm-hmm. had um, an antibody on the market um, to treat respiratory um, syncytial virus in, in premature babies. So they bought Medimune and we were merged, cat and Medimune were merged. Um, and that was a learning, you know, in terms of how you navigate organisational Um, challenges and opportunities, that was a really interesting time because I think there was a danger at that point that we could have been sort of lost in the the mix, if you like, of lots of moving parts, a big pharma company, a larger U.S. biotech. But what we did from the from the sort of Cat UK team was just went over and talked to the scientists within Medimmune about what we did and just kept explaining the libraries, the capacity, the the expertise that we had, and it turned into the most amazingly productive, collaborative, you know, joint organisation, um, which in the end resulted in many more antibodies making it through mm-hmm. right onto the market. Um, in respiratory disease, in oncology, um, and and was a really, really good success story, and and helped build the AZ sustainable pipeline that it has today. So it it was very rewarding, um, but it was, it had its ups and downs in terms of just making sure that we didn't lose value. That was my sort of key concern.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I suppose there's a number of things happening there, right? Because, I mean, for you personally, you've been with the group since there was 20 people. And, okay, it's grown to 350, and that's a reasonably sized organization. But you probably know to some extent most of the people that are around you at least know who they are or know, know someone close to them. And then... I guess in in one swoop, you're bought by AstraZeneca, which of course, as you say, is a much bigger organization. So you're learning to navigate that and then merged with MediMune on the other side of the Atlantic and and that kind of thing. So um, I guess that, yeah, there's a number of things thrown in all at once there, Um, but for you, it was that communication made that work, was it?
1: It was communication. It was, you couldn't over communicate Mm -hmm. uh, and, you could never assume that whoever you spoke to remembered or understood or really sort of got the, got the sort of fundamental point of what you're saying. So we spent a lot of time flying backwards and forwards actually to the States to build the personal relationships to do that Mm -hmm. communication. And I think at the end of the day, it, it, it was very easy to make that a success because the scientists over in MediMean in the US were very, very talented. They had complementary capabilities to the ones that we had in the UK. Right. They were more in, they, they got experience in looking at how you make an antibody have a more extended half-life in in the body, how you can humanize antibodies. It was really complementary to what what cat could do. And once we realized that, we actually realized, you know, we, we had a world leading potential to combine all these different technologies. And make you know make the best antibodies that we could.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and once you sort of connect on a scientific level, it then makes everything else a lot more straightforward. I mean, you still yeah. have some sort of cultural challenges, and I think the other important thing when you're going through mergers and acquisitions is to always respect the culture and the diverse approaches that you have within a bigger organisation. Because I think that is actually the secret to success. Diversity of thought, diversity of ideas brings opportunity. Yes. And I, I do think, you know, AZ worked hard to, to maintain that diversity. They, they gave independence to Medimmune to the different units, and, and tried to encourage that, that diversity. And I think that's, that was really important part of the success. So. Yeah.
0: And I suppose in those situations, it's, it's natural if there's a bit, of, a bit of caution from both sides and things like that as people are sort of trying to figure each other out. But fundamentally, scientists like science, right? So if you yeah. can show how the science can fit together and do something even more interesting. That's yeah, going break yeah.
1: that down. Yeah, that breaks that down. And the other thing that breaks it down is, is really talking about what your objectives are. Mm-hmm. So I think written, some objectives sort of is, is not impactful. Enough what's your bold ambition? Once you get together um, to do something, what's that going to look like? How, you know, how high how high can you go? You know, and we, we set some really bold targets around numbers of antibodies we would have mm-hmm. on the market, you know, within within eight years of starting that merged organization, which we delivered on. But I think they worked for the team because they were inspiring, but they weren't, you know, they were they were stretched inspiring. They weren't you know, completely unachievable when right. you achieve them. Um, but also, they were long term. And I think that's the other piece that I, I've always liked in my career is when you're part of a, a team, you have to be part of a team when you're doing drug discovery. Drug discovery is an absolute team sport. Mm-hmm. Um, having <laughs> longer term goals beyond you know delivering you know part a of this project you know really what is it you're trying to do in right. 10 years down the line you know where are you going to make a difference and have that as a as a sort of touchstone because i think that's the way that you drive you know really good team motivation and, and teamwork and, and the understanding the shared goal of the team is, is really important. So yeah. I think at Medellin we did that very well. My my, my boss at Medellin was a lady called Behija Jalal, who was very talented at that bigger picture,
0: strategic,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, this is where we're going. You know, and it's going to be tough.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But you know, and Pascal Sorio as well. I think who's this? Sort of, yeah, is the CEO of AZ. And yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have ups and downs on the way, but we're gonna set these bold goals, and we're gonna we're gonna make sure that we all understand them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that was important, and it worked. It was yeah. Yeah. You've got to have the science to back it up. But if you have yeah. and you've got the, the motivation, then you can you can do a lot, you know, with a with a, with a sort of biotech mindset, I think. Yeah. Yes.
0: And I suppose it helps you to stay connected to what you were talking about before, about speaking to the patient who'd come in and, and talked about the changes yeah. to their life. Because yeah. I guess it, it can be, especially if you're at the bench or you're, you're deep into a project or what have you, you know, it, it can seem a long way away, I suppose, the the impact that you're going to have on the patients, especially, you know, because it's a job that requires a huge amount of focus and detail, and yeah. I suppose, bringing people back to that big picture you on a consistent basis helps them to to stay engaged with that. I imagine.
1: Yeah, no, it helps them to stay engaged, and it, and it helps them to explain what they're doing to mm. the family, to the you know, to the broader community. Um, and yeah, you can't. Yeah, once you've once you've had that feeling, once you want more of it, you want to say okay I, Yeah, I, I want to talk to the next patient, the, the next disease. Um, you know, I I think, uh, and again. Having the opportunity to bring those patients back—I mean, we 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 had again presentations of from lung cancer patients who had been on some of our checkpoint inhibitors—and again, you know, that's that's really inspiring. As you know, as think, wow! I mean, that—and again, the, the, all these medicines are built on a whole series of discoveries from all sorts of different groups and different understandings. But then you sort of coalesce them into a molecule that does something
0: mm-hmm. that
1: is brilliant. You
0: know. Yeah, yeah, no, I can imagine. Um, and we talked a little bit about, just very briefly, about the role that you were in when you joined the company, and we talked a bit about your current um, role with Alchemab, and we talked a bit about the role you are at when you moved on from, from Medamine and AstraZeneca. So quite, you know, quite different in their scope, I suppose, from the beginning to the end, which you would expect. Um, uh, or I say the end, I mean now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm sure there's plenty ahead. Um, what do you think of as kind of the key things that you had to learn along the way, whether it was skills or things that, things that sort of, I don't know, were realisations for you? What, what are the things that helped you to make that, that progress?
1: Um, well, I, I think... I've always been aware of the need for collaboration. Um, it's one of the themes of my career. You know, I, I, I you, you never as you know you, you never have all the answers, and so I think, and that that's that's been sort of an evolution for me. Of because I am quite introvert actually, and certainly when I was when I was sort of a student, when I was sort of in my early career, I was very focused on reading papers that was the way mm. that you, you you gained knowledge you, you really sort of sat in the library or at the computer and tried to understand the field and I think um, as I've matured in my career and sort of gone through different roles I've been forced to in some cases talk to people more network with people more and I think probably the biggest turning point was realizing actually this this is the best way to, well, not the best way, but this is a complementary way to, you have to have the, the sort of knowledge, but being able to talk to people and just bounce ideas off people mm-hmm. and not necessarily expect that they've got the answer now, you know, so make a connection and then take, actually, oh, two years down the line, I remember, you know, that Chris knew all about that, I'll, I'll reconnect. And, and, and I think that is... A very—it's um, an interesting skill to learn, um, and I think you know there are some scientists that do that really well. There are other scientists who find that difficult. And actually, if you find it difficult, I do think it's important to push yourself out of your comfort zone a bit to sort of start exploring those mm-hmm. kind of boundaries because. Um, just by talking about an idea you get lots of different viewpoints and, and again you know coming back to this diversity of thought in problem solving I think yeah, it's really yeah. what you need so I would say yeah my career has progressed as my skill in being able to make connections scientific connections but people connections and then using my networks to help people within my teams join the dots as well Mm -hmm. I think has been a really good learning um and yeah I don't know how you sort of nurture that in a in a formal way but I do think it's something that we need to think about and at Alchemab I'm encouraging the team to think about that making sure that people are involved in a lot of these external conversations to just sort of see how other people operate. Yeah. But, I mean, it sort of goes back to, because I've also been very involved in the trade association, Uh the the BIA, the UK Trade Association for for the biotech sector. And I guess the the sort of evolution of that's quite interesting because the BIA started about the same time as CAT, um, as a a biotech trade association. And CAT were an early member of the BIA. Um, and we used to go to events and I used to think, oh, well, I, I don't need to go to events. And then somebody <laughs> said, well, Jane, just just go along to one of these bioprocess events and meet some people. And so you start going to events and then someone says, oh, well, why don't you actually help organise an event? And then, mm-hmm. oh, well, why don't you try and, you know, you, you could you, you could put yourself forward for, see if you could get elected onto the board of the BIA because, you know, that, that will... Give a different perspective for you, and you sort of take these incremental steps to the point where, you know, I you almost don't know how it happened. But I, you know, so I was elected chair of the BIA, right. the first female chair of the BIA, did that for four years, and, you know, I'm now going to Downing Street, talking to mm-hmm. all sorts of politicians, people that I wouldn't ever have thought I would be talking to, and you sort of gradually move out of your comfort zone change your networks change the way that you think about how you solve things and see different different ways of doing it and I think that's been really important to just have those gentle opportunities to do something just like all right just move it slightly further out of the comfort zone okay let's okay right one more challenge and I think People need to do that mm. in their career to keep learning and refreshing. So,
0: yeah. And, and that must have been very different as well operating in those government circles compared to in biotech and in pharma and, and things like
1: yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's fascinating, you know, because there's, there's you know, lots of different priorities. Um, and actually, you do realise how important it is to communicate science well. You can't assume that anybody knows what you're talking about when you're mm-hmm. sort of describing your, your 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 company, you know, and I think that's still a challenge. Um, and, you know, most politicians aren't scientists. Most civil servants aren't scientists. So you, you have to find ways of demonstrating what you're doing is impactful uh, and how it can benefit yeah. the UK... Population, not just the patients, you know, uh, how it can bring economic wealth, how you might want to think about how you build, you know, UK capabilities that that will benefit in in all sorts of different ways And, and, and thinking more about the economic landscape. So yeah, it's it's very different, um, but it's it, it, it gives a different perspective. And again, I keep going back to this, trying to get different perspectives on problems and see, you know, why do people think that way? Mm-hmm. What, what why do you think this isn't a good thing to do? Let's talk about it. You know, um, I have enjoyed that, and I've been probably better at that than I thought I would have been in the beginning. Right. Because the key thing is you need to also listen and then reflect back. Um, So, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, again, it's it's, as you say, it's coming back to a similar sort of thing in in understanding people's, not just perspectives on the problem, but where are they coming from? What are the things that they think about, that they care about, that they are interested in, right? And
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. and I know you said you, you don't know how to sort of talk about formally nurturing that, which I understand because it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a nebulous skill to develop, isn't it? But are there any things that you did that really helped you with that, that sort of, I guess, people and, and networking and, and connecting side of things?
1: Um, well, I did actually just try and be more disciplined about
0: mm.
1: going out and going to you know, maybe one event a month or one meeting a month that was out of the normal way of working. Um, See, so you, you can you know, think about how you do that. It, it, it's hard, you know. It's hard when you when you've got you know a demanding job whatever you're you know wherever you are in the organization you know it's very easy to focus on what you're doing now and, yes. and you know uh, and not think you know, can you carve out just a little bit of time to to learn something different some somebody different you know so i think you've got to be quite disciplined about that and choose where you think you know, you'll get the most benefit it's very easy to just go out and go to loads of things and, you know, just not actually have a focus. I think, yeah, have a focus of, right, I would really like to understand more about um, the clinical treatment of something or I'd like to understand how a, how, a, how a clinician views these kinds of problems or how a civil servant, yeah, you know, and and just try and come up with a... A very sort of light touch, mm. to the object or objective that. oh, if I could learn about that, then that might help me somewhere else. And then, and then you sort of get into the habit of doing doing it. So it's, it's yeah, forming some habits. Um, but then also being generous with your connections. I think that the wonderful thing about Cambridge for me over the years is. Everyone is so generous with their time and their yeah. ideas and they're quite prepared to share and give advice. I mean, I've you know, really been the beneficiary of that over the sort of various transitions that you go through through your career. You know, those are those are sort of as you're merging with another company, you know, that's for right. advice as you're thinking of right, okay, I'm now at a point where I'm gonna you yeah, know almost jump off the cliff and do something completely different. You know, how how, how do you do that? And there's loads of people around who are incredibly supportive and wise and not judgmental, you know, and I think... And, and have also introduced me to other people. I, I see it as my duty to introduce where I think there's benefit. Mm-hmm. Introduce people, make sure that you're sort of playing those networks forwards and being as generous as you can be with your time when somebody asks you for help or advice. You know, Really try and make sure that you, you, know, you can do the best you can to, to offer that. So, yeah, I think that's an important you know realization, but it's so easy in in well not just in Cambridge, I think in the u k biotech sector in general you know really impressive entrepreneurial set of people who yeah. get stuff done you know that's what I love about biotech it's like full of people who just have energy and passion and want to get stuff done and they find a way to get stuff done. Mm-hmm. It's not always necessarily, you know, it doesn't always always work out, but you just got to try. Um, yes. And, and I think that, yeah, that's, for me, that's the sort of message I'd love to get back into sort of younger recruits as they come in is, don't be afraid to just try something. The worst thing you can do in biotech is not make a decision. Okay. You just need to make a decision and realize that there's actually probably lots of right decisions. There are some wrong decisions as well. But you tend to be, when you're in the sort of scientific mindset, you tend to think you need more data, you need more analysis. At the end of the day, there's a point where just do something to see what well. happens. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, that's the way you learn, and that's the way you make progress. And, and if it's not right, well, you've learned, you know. And you know, drug discovery, you're bound to fail, if mm. you don't fail some of the time, you're not innovating enough because you're just following the crowds. You know, you've got to go out on a limb, take a bit of a risk, make some decisions. You know, that's yes. why is again a big learning for me, is like don't sit on your hands worrying about a decision. So
0: No, it's important. I think yeah. as you say, and the other side of that, especially in an industry like drug discovery where you know time is of the essence, right? Is if you don't do it, someone else is gonna do it and yeah. Yeah. then, then you left behind, I guess, as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I was interested in your thoughts as well, Jane, and you've touched on this a little bit, but, you know, I guess with your various um, different hats on, so we've talked about the BIA, we've talked about your role at Alchemab, but Mogrify, I know you're also involved with Cambridge Enterprise and Abraham Research Campus, and, um, you know, so, so you will have a view on this, I'm sure, from a... From people in their earlier career point of view. Um, but for those who are maybe um, sort of embarking on a career in the biotech industry or perhaps sat in academia thinking about a career in the biotech industry or, um, you know, i have got this sort of this vast multitude of options ahead of them, which a lot of scientists do uh, thinking about mm-hmm. this sort of career. Well, I mean, what's your view on where the industry is at currently? And what's your view on sort of what the UK looks like from a biotech point of view for, uh, I'd normally say for the next few years, but I, I think we're probably looking at the next few weeks, given the, everything that's going
1: on. <laughs> but, yeah. Um... Well, it's a good, I mean, it's a great time to be asking that. I mean, I would say, you know, there's some fundamental trends which I'm convinced are going to be really important over the next you know, five, ten years that we, we needed to sort of get our head around as a, as a, as a biotech sector. I, th- I think um, there's going to be a lot more, and there is already a lot more engagement with digital technologies to monitor health. Um, actually look at how you can organize trials using digital support. And I think that is only going to expand. And I think that's a really good thing. And I think what that does is encourage people to think more about, again, sort of going back to the the healthy well. Why am I well? What's keeping me well? You know, it might be your immune system, and Alchemab will sort of take a look at that. But actually, let's monitor lots of things. Let's see, you know, let's try and find out what can keep you well, Rather than treat you once you get ill, you know, and I, and it's I think the UK um, is thinking about that. It's, well, globally, everyone's thinking about that. Mm-hmm. I think I think there's quite a lot of emphasis on digital technologies in the UK. I think there's a nice opportunity there, and combining that with earlier diagnosis, earlier interventions that mean you know you you keep you're keeping people in that sort of zone of, of yes. health. And so, I, and I think that's a big opportunity. It's also a big challenge in terms of changing culturally how we think about drug discovery, how we think about medicine, how GPs interact with patients. Um, and I suspect that the current situation with the, the pandemic and mm-hmm. you know, che- that 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 is changing the way that we interact with our healthcare providers in different ways and not all of that's you know particularly help, helpful for some things but I think if we can take the good from that and think about how you can have more online consultations, Mm -hmm. use digital monitoring, Um, there there is an upside there in how you can protect people. So I think that's a big opportunity, and that intersection between biology and digital monitoring is a is a nice dynamic. You've mm. got the big technology players on one hand, you've got the farmer on the other hand, treating disease. Somewhere in the middle, there's an opportunity, which I think is very much for sort of combination of academia and biotech to, to play and, and, and make some you know, really insightful ways of working um, that could actually, yeah, make a make a bigger difference. You know, over, over decades to to keeping the population healthy. So I think that's an opportunity. Um, And I also think um, we do need to think, we we knew this already, but we do need to think about how we how we think about um, infectious diseases, how you think about bacterial infections, how we can be more responsive. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about the sort of biology side of that. It's also about the manufacturing. And you know, coming back to, again, I see you know, through my career,
0: yes. how
1: can you quickly make vaccines? How can you quickly make neutralising antibodies? How can you quickly respond? And I think the UK probably needs to have a level of resilience in manufacturing um, for, for the sort of future... <laughs> piece, if you like, that maybe it's it's sort of lost a bit over the past few mm-hmm. years, because there's been more globalisation and manufacturing now. Yeah. I think all countries will be looking at that resilience, if you like, um, and that's not to detract from the need for global science, but there's a pragmatic need of how different regions respond. So I think those are some big themes. Um And I think, you know, from a pure biology and science perspective, you know, the themes of, you know, I mean, I think immunology is just a wonderful place to Mm -hmm. work at the moment because we're getting more and more knowledge and information on that. You know, there's there's the whole opportunity that really deep sequencing can bring to understanding the interplay between the human Genome, you know the host genome, viral genomes maybe. They have TCRs, BCRs, all these different pieces of data inter- intersecting, mm-hmm. and the people that can get their head round the significant factors there, I think, will be will be really uh, in a good place. Yes. So uh, there's lots and lots of opportunity, um, and I think. Yeah, the other opportunity now is people are talking about science a lot more. People yeah, understand, true. you know, people people that didn't used to know what a virus was or a spike protein on a virus. You know, there's a there's a there's a level of education that we need to sort of step up on the gas and make the mm-hmm. most. Okay, it's not just about viruses is about this and this and this and you need to understand more about what's going on um, in medicine, in science uh, and really make the most of, you know, there's a a need, an urgent need for for knowledge from a lot of people and, and we do need to step up and start explaining how that plays out and what the opportunities are.
0: Yeah. No, and I suppose that that understanding plays into again the the first point that you made of this idea of a complete view of health and, and yeah, you yeah. know I, don't, I I don't like to use the term wellness because I think it's got other connotations, but but health yeah. as a whole rather than healthcare, health as
1: a whole, yeah, yeah. And a holistic view of what's going on in any one individual so that you can look for nuanced changes, you can protect that person. It's much more valuable to protect people and keep them in that you know healthy state and understand. What their risks are and how you can encourage that dialogue. Mm.
0: Yeah. I remember seeing a quote a few years ago, and I, I forget who it's from now. And so, I, I, whoever it is, if they're listening, I apologize that I've forgotten this is from you, but I really liked it. They said, 100 years from now, we're going to look back and think, what, you waited for them to get sick and then you did something about yeah. it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No, that's it's a good quote. And,
0: mm. yeah. yeah. Very true. And then I suppose going looking more specifically at you, Jane, and, and the things you're involved in. What, what's next for you, for Alchemab, for the other things that you, you have on your plate? What, what does the future hold?
1: Well, Alchemab's at a really exciting point now, where we've got we've got some great people, we've got some funding, we've got a good idea. So for Alchemab now, it's like let's really, really sort of you know, push on demonstrating that we can find something of interest and start understanding it you know so i think that's sort of the next year or so that's what that's going to be about and hopefully that will be successful and we can then you know build and expand on that um but i mean for me generally i you know i told you about the reason i joined cat mm-hmm. because i like that fundamental technology our is are fundamental Technology which could be applied to any kind of disease setting, mogrify in the sort of cell therapy world. Again, it's a platform that is really exciting and could be applied yes. to anything. You know, the, the challenge is making those decisions. Yeah, you've got to decide to apply it somewhere to test it um, and then see where it goes. Um, yeah, I'm also really interested in um, <laughs> in plant chemistry. So I mentioned my, I have an older sister uh, mm-hmm. who's also a scientist. She's actually. Um, um a professor at the johnny uh, um, institute over in, in norwich and we, we you yeah, know as you sort of get time to talk more as we've got older and sort of shared more of our scientific experience rather than our experience of family life and you know mm-hmm. you have more time to, to talk we we started thinking about plant chemistry and how that might have opportunities as platforms for developing pharmaceuticals. I was starting to sort of think about what we might do there, which is interesting, you know, we'll see where that goes, but plants are an amazing resource with all sorts of interesting chemistry going on. Um, And, you know, we, 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 we think there's a sort of potential there to harness mm. some of the chemistry in plant science and apply that into pharmaceutical science. So that again, that's another platform. So I've sort of got a chemistry platform, a biology biologics platform, and a cell platform. You know, uh-huh. we'll see we'll see how they go. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I, I think I'll, I'll always be interested in anything where there's a good scientific hypothesis. Um, lots of different avenues to apply it, and ultimately, I you know I am now very much of I want to make more patients better, right. or stop people becoming patients, as we've just explained. But yeah. you know that, that for me is, is a sort of motivator, and it always will be. You know, so I think that's that's where I'm where I'm heading, and if I can do anything in the meantime to hopefully be as generous as other people have been to me in terms of supporting the next wave of, of young scientists. You know, that for me is very important. I've always been a strong advocate of STEM mm-hmm. education, encourage that at AstraZeneca, MediMune, we'll do that, Alchemab, um, you know, with and, and again, um, those guys yeah. are really keen on science education. Because I think even if you're not creating, even if, if people don't want to be the next scientist, I think people within society need to understand science better. Yeah. And they need to understand risk. They need to understand, you know, how they can look after themselves. and. Um so I think there's a there's a lot that I'll continue to do there. I'm not quite sure what form that will take yet, but, uh, um, but I think there'll be plenty of opportunity for me to do that so
0: yeah, and that's a really interesting one actually because I think there's sometimes a bit of a disconnect between how people engage with science at school and then the things they become interested in later in life and I think people become a lot more interested even if they weren't necessarily um, that focused on science in their in their youth they they become a lot more interested in that as they get older how do things work and why is this the way it is and and things like that so I think if you can if you can find ways to bring that interest forward then that, that can only be good for good to think yeah yeah. Perfect. So, if, with that in mind, and you've mentioned a couple of things already. Um, so, um, this, uh, you may have already mentioned it, but if there was, if there was one thing that you really wanted to leave people with, or, or perhaps one thing that you wish you'd known, Jane, when you started out, um, what, what would that be? What would be your your final thought, as it were?
1: Um, oh, well, what I wish I knew when I was my earlier self in my career. Um, I, I do think, you know, I I struggled a bit with having confidence in my own thoughts and ideas, and I see that in some of the young people that I interact yeah. with. And some of them, some of the more established people, you know, I think I think with an element of of you. Yeah not feeling your thoughts, your ideas are as valued as they should be. So I, I think it's something around have confidence, you know, that's, that's the advice I would give to my younger self is believe that you have an, a valid view and um, get out there and share it. Because by sharing it, if it's not valid, then, you know, you'll learn uh, mm-hmm. and if it's valid, people will build on it, you know. So I think trust your gut instinct and be prepared to share ideas. <laughs> And I think that, and you know, that's still the case now. In the early days, I think oh, I wish I'd shared ideas more because it would have helped build my confidence. Now I'm thinking I need I need more time to share ideas because right. then they will become, you know, better refined. They'll have more impact. So I I think my fundamental advice is talk to people and listen, you know, but don't be afraid to air your views and challenge people and ask why Um, Mm -hmm. why do you think that Uh, okay that's interesting let's now where does that then take us so i think that's sort of exploring other people's views and ideas um and trusting that people have you know good good motives they always do Mm. in in my experience and it's much better to overshare and be transparent and you know make the most of those conversations and people, people, are, in my experience, are just really responsive and want to do the same. So, yes, trust and share would be my sort of key messages. Uh, and do something that you care about. So make sure that what what you're working on, you're passionate about, and you really care mm. about the answer. You know, it doesn't really matter what that is, but you need to care about the answer.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Jane, thank you very, very much for your time.
1: That's very nice to talk to you, Tom. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Thanks for joining us on Careers in Discovery. And don't forget to subscribe for more insight into the world of drug discovery and R&D. Do take a look at our sponsors, Singular Talent, and their mission to make herring better for companies and individuals in drug discovery and R&D. You can find them at www.singulartalent.io. See you next time.